On the 10th, we're going to start having a guy's uh, night of prayer. Um, we're also going to incorporate uh, some other things with it. The main thing is, is we're going to grill food and pray. And so we're going to have different menu items uh, and, you know, spend 30, 45 minutes eating, 30, 40 minutes praying uh, kind of thing, and just be able to connect guys together through the time of, of eating and then connect us with God through the time of prayer, and then we've got some things we're going to be praying about. And, and, uh, and Barry mentioned something to me before service, and I think this is, I think this is scripturally solid, that um, when they sacrificed to God in the Old Testament, God said it had a savory fragrance to it. Well, you know what they were sacrificing? They were, they were killing animals and burning them. And God said it had a savory fragrance, and it was the same concept as our, our, our worship or our prayer goes to God as fragrance. So I think when we pray, God wants to smell cooked meat uh, in the process. I mean, am I making that up? That's, that's, that's scripturally prudent, is it not? God likes to smell meat cooking while we're talking to him. So, um, so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start, we're going to do this once a month at first, just kind of see what's going on, see uh, how we can do this, how the guys connect. Um, but we need this. We desperately need right now guys praying together. And uh, I, I, think, I think that is the most important thing that a church can do, is men praying. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. So it'll, I think we start at 6.30 on the 10th. And um, just show up. We'll make sure all the stuff is there. All right. There's something else I want to talk about. So, all right. So, we're going to finish this story. Tonight, we are going to finish the story of Balaam and the donkey. All right. So, somebody, uh, somebody give me the uh, background. What? Tell me the story of Balaam and, and the donkey. Bring us up to about where we were. Anybody that remembers back in the old days. What was he going to do? What was Balaam going to do? What did he want to do? And curse the um, curse the Israelites. Yeah, yeah, and it's the Moabites, not Nebuchadnezzar. It's the Moabites. But uh, so Balaam wanted to go and curse the Israelites for the Moabites. The Moabite king um, uh, called up Balaam. Balaam was a curser, and he calls up Balaam the curser and says, "Hey, go curse the Israelites." And uh, and he said, oh, I'm not going to do it. God, God showed him in a dream, vision kind of thing, don't do this. He said, I'm not going to do it. And then they offered him more money. He said, okay, maybe I'll do it. And, um, and then God said, okay, if you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. And then he takes off. And, um, and on the journey, um, let, me, let me read this part. Uh, we, we got through most of this, but let me read this part. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, Started off with the Moabite officials, but God was angry that Balaam was going. We talked about that. That God said to him, "Okay, if you're going to, this is not the way it says it. He just said, go with them.' But basically, what he's saying, since you're going to do it anyway, go ahead. And we know that 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 that's what God's mentality was because he didn't. The next morning, when he actually went, he was angry. So God didn't want him to go. God had told him the first time, "Don't do this." So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As as Balaam and the two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. I um, want to throw something here. This, this actually got 
real to me one time in, a, in an interesting way. Me and another guy that, um, he's an outfitter, we, we would, for years, we would go into the mountains, pack into the mountains for a, a week or two at a time, and, and um, just pack a horse and just go up in the mountains. And uh, we were doing this one year, and we got caught in a blizzard, and the uh, snow literally is up to our chest, and it's snowing, and it starts to become night, and we didn't have, we were still hiking, we hadn't got to where we wanted, we didn't have a tent set up, we didn't have anything, it's middle of the night, snowing like crazy, and we literally just pulled the horses together, like threw a tarp over a tree and crawled under it, and I do that. So, the next morning, we're, we're, we get up, and we, we don't die, which was pretty cool, that was touch and go there for a little bit, but uh, we get up the next morning, we're hiking on this trail, heading to our campsite, and um and, and the horse I was on had been harassing me a lot on the first three or four days. You know, trying to bite me, pull me off of his back, all the things horses do. Walk under a branch, you know, this high. You know, this, you guys know, anybody know what I'm talking about? So, so I'm doing all that, and um, so I'm already irritated at this horse. We did have a moment where we, we got out on some ice. I get off, I help the horse across. So he's being nice to me now this, this, this morning. But I didn't, didn't know, figure that out yet. So I'm going down the trail, and the horse is, the trail's really steep like this. It's a cutoff, and the snow is literally above our waist, and we're trying to walk. And the horse keeps hitting me with his head and knocking me down into the snow, down on the, the drop off. So I'd roll down in there, I'd be mad, I'd come back up, you know, and push the horse. And he just kept leaning into me, and he hit me and knocked me off. So, I, I mean, I did this for a whole day. And then the next one, the horse took off running, early in the morning, and I catch him, I get on him, he bucks me off. I mean, this is just, about two weeks later, I, I was mad. I mean, I'm, I'm shoving this horse. He knocked me out, I hit him in the face. And, you know, I mean, we're, we're, me and this horse are having it out on the side of this mountain, and he's winning. He's winning this fight big time. And every time I'd get going, he'd knock me down in the snow again. So, and uh, so a couple weeks later, Jim comes to him, and he says, hey, Scott, you know, because he was getting mad at the horse, too, but he's like, I don't know why this horse is doing this. He's not, this is not how he is. A couple weeks later, he said, I took, the, took that horse to the vet. Uh, something is wrong with his eyes. He has an infection in his eyes. He's been blind for the last couple weeks. <laughs> I felt really small at that point. I'm slapping and beating his horse, and he's, he just can't see me. He does. And, and immediately when he said that, I thought of Balaam and his donkey. Was God trying to speak to me? Was I like horse abuse, that kind of thing? You know, I don't know. But so, um, this time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with a staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. And now, we talked about this um, a few weeks ago. The fact that he is so upset and so much in a rage at this moment that when the donkey talks to him, he doesn't slow down enough to process that a donkey is talking to him. And I think his anger has taken over, okay? Anybody ever been there where your, your anger literally takes over and you can tell this is, I'm no longer in a good place. Um, this is very unhealthy for me. I've talked about this before a lot, but... Um, when Lynn and I first got married, my biggest issue in life was just anger. I was such an angry person and, and um, just angry all the time and, and violent mentality. That was always my thinking. Uh, one of the biggest things the Lord has done with me over the years is calmed me down. Um, but at the same time, part of the, well, not part, the, the reason is because I systematically have intentionally prayed about that. And worked on specific details when it comes to uh, anger and saying, God, this is not healthy. It's not what Christians do. We don't act like this. Um, to, really, to really think about what it means. I, I think I've told this before, but one of the times, this was early, I was like 21. I was a youth pastor, and my pastor was teaching me to golf. And uh, we were golfing with a judge. We're out on the golf course. We come by the green, and I don't, I, I'm just starting. I don't know how to golf, but I don't do failure well, and I don't do um, not failing is what I want to do. So I, I 
hit the ball and it takes off, scalds across the green. And I get so mad. I take my golf club and I just buried in the ground up to the handle. It was kind of soft right there. And I was so mad. I literally buried up the handle is the only thing sticking out. The grip is sticking out of the ground. And uh, my pastor comes over and the, the judge is off in the weeds doing whatever. My, my pastor comes over and the judge wasn't a Christian. And the pastor comes over to me and he says, if you cannot get a control of this anger, you need to go home. He said, we're trying to witness to this guy and you're acting like some kind of little baby. That hurt my feelings. But he was right. That's just, that's just stupid immature. That's just selfish immaturity. I was more concerned about whether I could hit a golf ball or not than anything, including this guy's soul, the day, my representation of God, whatever the case is. And that was the same time frame that I'm really processing. I need to, to get a handle on these things. And, uh, but I, I know what it is to, to get so rage-filled that nothing else matters. My car could talk to me, and I would have a conversation with it. I know I would. I'd be mad. I was like, why do you keep honking the horn, you know? Um, and, and here's the thing is, I, I think many of us in here, we know what that is. We know what it is to get so angry. Uh, it's not healthy. So verse 29, you have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. Have you ever, who's making who look like a fool here? The donkey's making Balaam look like a fool? He's beating this donkey all over the place. And then he's having an argument with the donkey. Who looks like the fool? Balaam. But is it the donkey's fault? No. This is, to me, this story has so many elements to it that shows us how easily irrational we can be at different times. How completely irrational we can be. This is one of those things that years ago I struggled with this. I don't, I don't struggle with it really at all nowadays, but um, I, I used to argue with Linda and be wrong. <clears throat> I, don't, I haven't struggled with that for years. Um, first, I'm not wrong nowadays. And uh, secondly, she's just arguing with me. I'm just stating my case. So, but I, there was a few times, so I, I, so I know, this, I, I'm, this mom makes me look like a petty little jerk, but... Uh, so when Linda and I would get in fights, um, one of us should sleep on the couch. That's the way I, I mean, isn't that the way the rules work? I mean, you're, you, get, you don't just go to bed together. And so I would say, so are you going to sleep on the couch? She'd say, no, I really like my bed. So I would go sleep on the couch to show her. I'll show her. I'll sleep on the couch. Um, how stupid is that? She's like kicking back in the bed, enjoying the fact that I'm not there. Because I'm going to show her. There have been times we've been in the middle of an argument, and I'm the, I'm, the one who'll, I'm the one who wants to leave. She's the one who wants to get right here. And do that for like four hours. I want to leave. Because that's what mature people do. And so, um, there have been times when literally I have walked out the door. I'm going to go get in the car. I don't know where I'm going. You know, it's one o'clock in the morning. I'm, just, I'm out of here, you crazy lady. So, um, she's in there eating cheese puffs. And, but I've literally walked out the door and stood outside the door for like 10 minutes saying, this, this is stupid. This is stupid. This is irrational. But I can't go back in there. She's in there. Right? She's the problem, and she's still in there. This has been years. Yeah, yeah. It's been, I, I can't remember the last 15, 20 years. At least 15. 15. <laughs> 15. Okay. So, as soon as I'm up here, you need to leave. So, so we do, we, it's amazing to me I know I'm making jokes and all about this, but it's amazing to me how easily we become stupid irrational. I, I, have, I have watched this. I've had it happen to myself, and I've seen other people uh, in, in, uh, in traffic become stupid irrational. Literally just 
lose their minds. People pull guns on each other. You know, Linda's uncle, he's, um, he's like 20 years older than us, maybe not quite that older, but 15 years older than us. He, um, we got a call one time from her aunt or her mother. Somebody was telling the story, I don't know, but her uncle gets in this like road rage thing. This is in Houston, a major highway, like an I-70, I-25 kind of thing. And the traffic's, you know, bumper to bumper, touch and go. And these two, yeah, he's a very gentle man, very kind man. But it gets so bad, he jumps out of his car, the other guy jumps out of his car, and they start duking it out right there on the freeway. They're hitting each other on the freeway. And he said at one time, he had the guy in a headlock just going to town on him like this. And he feels a tug on his sleeve, and it's the other guy's wife saying, Sir, would you please stop hitting my husband? And he said at that moment, he's like, how stupid is this? He lets the guy go. The other guy stands up. And both of them look at each other at this moment like, how stupid is this? We're sitting there beating the crud out of each other. You know, he's all bloody. He walks back to the guy, his van, gets in the car with the kids. and it, Yeah, he took him. He's like, because he, he beat him up pretty good. So he's helping him back to the van. And, So here's the thing that I've seen is we can be crazy, irrational, stupid. Now, here's some things that I think are important in this story. I, I, I believe this is part of what the Lord is trying to show us. And by the way, I've had people ask me before, do you believe this is a true story? Yes, this is a true story. This is a true story. This really happened. Okay, A donkey really talked to a guy because um, God's made it so. But here's one of the things. When it, when it comes to the mentality of us being irrational, being stupid, those kind of things, what are the things that fuel that? Why do we get to those places? Pat? Like, like yesterday. Yes. Okay. Right. She started this. Yeah, so this is, I think this is part of what Balaam is dealing with here. Is it not? Balaam, Balaam should not have been doing what he was doing. That's, we'll get to some more of these details as you guys um, become transparent. But uh, Balaam is not supposed to be doing what he's doing. 
and so on the journey, the only thing he's thinking is he, you know, he's going to make some coin, and he's going to this is going to benefit him. And the the donkey and the angel are causing him problems, and he can't get to the prize. He can't control this this scenario, and so he gets angry. He gets more and more angry at the donkey, and, and one of the reasons is control. So what else is going on here? What what do we struggle with? Why do we get why do we get ridiculous and angry and why? You have a way that you look at things? When it doesn't go that way it can be discouraging. And I'm not saying like Thomas saying like control things. I'm just saying this is the way life is supposed to go. Now think about this. How many times have you been upset at God because life didn't go the way you thought it should? Regardless of whether it's legitimately not, I mean, it could be bad. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying you're wrong about it, but how many times do we get upset at God? This is one of the revelations I had early as an adult, as you know, I'm in my early 20s and I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I'm trying to figure out life, trying to figure out marriage and all this stuff, and I'm still a kid. I'm trying to process all this, and and I really thought, I, I it was I felt horribly guilty the first time that I got so angry at God, and I was so I was so angry at Him because He didn't treat me right. I thought I was the only person that had ever thought that way. I, I literally I didn't know enough about this. I didn't know anybody else's stories. I grew up in the church where everybody was perfect. The pastor was like. Jesus' emissary on this earth and all the deacons were good people. I didn't know that that wasn't true. I didn't know that some of these people were just jerks. I didn't know that. I was a kid. My parents didn't, they hid those things from us. They wanted us to just, you know, like church. Uh, And so I didn't know those things. I didn't grow up in the ministry, so I just didn't know that stuff. And so I just assumed that everybody in church was super holy, almost perfect, maybe not perfect, but pretty close. Um, they all walked around with the right attitudes that did reading out, you know, like I saw some, the few times in my childhood that I saw something like that, that didn't work out, you know, like I saw somebody treating somebody wrong or something, it, it would floor me. And I just assumed those were possessed people that they, they weren't real Christians. I was very naive about this stuff. And so I get upset at God because things aren't going my way. And I, I, I never experienced that. I didn't know, for example, that every single one of us in this room have been mad at God. I didn't know that. I thought I was the only one. And it's because I had an idea of what life should look like. I've said this before. When I first became a youth pastor, I went to the first church we were at, and it was I just was so excited to be there. I was so excited. I'm, I'm literally, I just turned 20 years old, with like weeks and uh, I'm the youth pastor of a church. This is a fairly large church, and I'm just, I'm just so happy, and everybody just loves Jesus. And, and then I realize not everybody that goes to church is a Christian. And even the Christians, some of them are not nice people. I, I, that floored me, literally floored me. Lynn and I get married three or four months later. She joins me, and I'm like, see that person over there? I don't think they're a Christian. You know, it's that kind of thing. And she's like, okay. She grew up as a pastor's kid. She grew up in this. She knew people weren't Christians that went to church. She knew some were just mean people. I didn't know that. I mean, it literally floored me. So what's another thing that would cause them to be irrational or angry or what would cause us to think that way or be that way? Tom?
Yeah, embarrassed also maybe because he felt like he had a specific uh, reputation and a station in life. Remember that the king sought him out because he was known to be the guy that could curse people, right? So he's, a, he's, he's kind of a big shot in his world there. And uh, he can't even get the donkey to go up the path to get to where he's going. Can't even make that happen. Here's one, guys, as parents that can get us too. Um, you should never discipline your child because they've embarrassed you. All right? Now, what they did to embarrass you may be a disciplinable issue. Okay? If they're like, acting like a goofball in the grocery store, well, they need to be disciplined for it. But if it's just because they embarrassed you, right? And, and by the way, I'm, I'm not speaking from success here. I'm just saying know what that is. This, this is the way I would tell my kids, is if you don't want me to get onto you in public, don't do things in public, right? If I can, I'm going to wait till we get to the car and, you know, tase them or something like that, but, but if they're pitching a fit in the middle of a grocery store, if that's where they want to make it go down, that's where it's going to go down. I didn't choose the, I didn't choose the playing field, huh? Yeah, I don't, I'm going to teach the kid how to pitch fits. It's if you add the kick into it. But, uh, I mean, things like that, it, it, our, we, our, our, we, get, we get embarrassed. We get our, our pride comes into this. That's another reason that we can get angry and lose control or whatever, because of our pride. What's another thing that Balaam's dealing with here? Yeah. Yeah, and so this is to me this is the biggest thing going on in this story. Is when you are walking in rebellion, you can justify a lot of stuff. When, when, you're, when it's about you, your selfishness, and you're pushing God away, it's going to cascade on you. Anger is going to be easier. Unforgiveness is going to be easier. Attitude is going to be easier. Selfishness is going to be easier. All those things are going to be easier when you're walking in rebellion. And we know, we know when we're walking in rebellion. Somebody else doesn't have to tell you that. You know. You know what it feels like. You know what, you know what the back of your mind, the Holy Spirit's scratching on your brain saying, I don't think this is not what I told you to do. This is not, and we just, we're going to do it anyway kind of thing. And, and a lot of things after that happen to you, to me, to us, because of our rebellion. Right? Here's, a, here's some things that would not have happened to Balaam if he would have just done what God said, which was, stay home, don't do this. The donkey wouldn't have run off the road. The donkey wouldn't have crushed his foot. Angel with a flaming sword wouldn't have threatened to kill him. All these other things would not have happened. Now, I'm kind of glad Balaam did all this because we get a story where a donkey talks to a dude. So I'm glad that this happened. But none of this had to have happened. Uh, with Balaam. Guys, and I know you, you know what I'm talking about here, but I have this conversation with people on a regular basis. Well, this is what happened to my, this is what's going on, this is what, and, and you can easily just go back and say, here's when it started. This is when it started. What do you expect when you start here? I've seen that in, in, um, in dating relationships. You date somebody that you shouldn't. You do things that you shouldn't. You compromise. Well, pretty soon, what are you, you're off in the deep end saying, how did this happen? I literally, we had, this was years ago, but we had a girl come to us, and a teenage girl. She was so upset. I'm pregnant. Like, I didn't, I know how this happened. Well, let's, let's just analyze how do people get pregnant. Let's start there. 
You understand what I'm saying? And you can build and you can build and you can build. And then, and then we get upset because our lives are falling apart or because God's not doing this. or the, you know. And, and a lot of times we have taken ourselves down a path that is, that's got us in trouble. And then we're wondering, how did I get in trouble? Well, figure it out. It doesn't take a genius to figure this out. We did this stuff to ourselves. The attitudes, the, the, the I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to... You know, I know, obviously, if for Wednesday night, I'm not talking to you guys, but, um, I mean, I'm, t- I'm not talking about you, I'm talking to you, but uh, the idea that I see with people that just, coming to church is not a big deal to them. Just, I'll show up, you know, three or four times a year, you know, kind of thing, and, and I'm not the kind of person that says, you've got to be at church every week, I don't, I, I kind of think you should want to be here. Um, at the same time, I do think, this is something, I think it was, um, um, Lynn Warden said this the other day when I was talking about, this was like three or four weeks ago, when I was talking about, you know, the, the why we get together as a corporate group, what the importance of Christian fellowship together and all that stuff. And she said something I think was pretty important. After she says, here's another reason that people should go to church. So what's that? And she said, because it is a testimony of God's sovereignty and your submission to that sovereignty. He is in charge. And I'm going to declare that to my neighbors because every Sunday they're going to watch me drive out of the driveway and head to church. And they're going to know that that's a commitment that I've made because God is sovereign. She's right about that. I, I didn't bring that into the message. I wasn't thinking about that. But surrendering to God's authority and his sovereignty is a testimony to people. Sometimes the reason we don't do things, according to Paul, the eating meat sacrifice to idols, sometimes the reason we don't do things is because we are accountable to God on all things, and he's the authority, and it's not whether I want to or not, it's God, what do you want? It's not okay, it's not whether it's okay or not, it's God, what do you want? And this, 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 part of this story is saying, when we start stepping out into our own selves, Balaam, he just wanted the money, he didn't care what God said, all this other stuff, Um, when we start stepping into that arena, there's a lot of junk that happens to us. A lot of junk. And we don't have to deal with that junk if we just do what God says. And sometimes doing what God says is purely because He's in charge. Right? I know that I know that goes into an arena that the, the American church does not like today. But here's the deal with it is we're going to be accountable for everything. We're accountable for every single thing we do. And scripture even says. If you know something that you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's a sin, even if the actual thing is not a sin. If God has told you to do it, if it's the right thing to do and you know you're supposed to, and God has told you, if you don't do it, that's a sin because it's just not a submission to God's authority. And, and I really believe that one of our responsibilities in relationship with God is just submit to Him. Even if I don't like it, even if it doesn't make me happy, even if I don't understand it, even if all this other stuff... The, the, uh, the old, old thing that parents uh, used to say, we're not allowed to say nowadays, um, why, when your kids ask, why do I have to do that? Because I said so. I, I really don't think it's my obligation as a parent to have to explain why I'm telling my kid to do something. I, I, said, this to a <clears throat> I said this to a lady. She had, um, she had triplets. She went to our churches years ago and she had triplets here with the same age as my boys, and this is when my kids were, my boys were about three, four, five, six years old. And she had three uh, boys, five years old, triplets. And uh, what? They were, they were, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we came home one time from church. Our, our house was right behind the church. And those three boys had been walking through our house, striking matches, throwing them on the floor in the house. They were all over the house. I'm not making this up. I don't know how they did not burn my house down. I don't even know why they were in my house. Either way, so, so, um, so here's the thing. I told her one time. I had said something in a service about one of the reasons you discipline your children is because you know what's right and they don't, and you don't have to explain that. You don't have to explain to your children. The idea nowadays is that you have to have this long conversation with your children, and they have to totally understand everything that you're asking them to do. I, I don't think is healthy for you or the children. In fact, I think it's counter, 
and uh, productive. Okay? And I said something like that, and she asked me after the service. We're standing on the front porch of the church. In front of the church is a highway. Um, it's out there a little bit, you know, 50 yards. But, and so we're standing there, and she said, I just don't think you should have. I said, let me give you an example. I said, if your kids run out in the road and you say, stop, what do you want them to do? Stop. Not, why do I have to stop, you know, as they're still running? Do I, should I really stop? I don't feel like stopping today. Let's have a discussion about whether you should stop. Let's all discuss. Why do you feel like stopping today? I don't know. Do I feel like you should stop? All the stupidity that happens with parenting nowadays. As I'm saying that, I'm not saying it exactly like that. I'm much nicer. But I said, when they run out in the road, when you say stop, they should stop, and there should be no discussion because you're the parent. You don't have to explain. You're the parent. They're the child. You're in charge. They're not. She said, I just don't know if that's really. As I'm saying that, two of the three boys ran out into that highway Cars coming from both sides slammed on their brakes. One slides down the ditch. They're honking, literally. Aah! The car, the boys are standing in the middle of the road. She's screaming, freaking out. And I said, two of your three boys almost died because you're so boneheaded you don't realize you're in charge. It's unhealthy. And I do believe, and I know this is, again, this is countercultural in American Christianity. I think our responsibility to God is to do what he says. Regardless of whether we feel right about it, whether we feel spiritual, whether we are blessed, just do what he says. He tells us obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than all the church things that you're supposed to be doing. Obedience is better than, your, uh, better than your prayer meetings, your worship times, your church attendance, your tithing. Obedience is the most important thing. That's what God says. They were trained to do the sacrifice. They were taught. It was important. It's how they interact with God. But at the end of the day, God said, sacrificing is not where I'm trying to get you. The sacrificing is teaching you obedience. If you don't get the obedience, you've missed the whole thing. Obedience. If God says go, you go, even if you don't like it, even if you don't understand it, even if he hasn't sat down and discussed it with you. Just do what he says. Now, when God says to Balaam, Balaam, don't do this, he did it anyway. And all of this came as a result, as a result of this. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Here's my question. Why did Balaam fall face down before uh, this angel at this point? Fear. I don't think it was like this deep, humbled repentance. I think he sees a, flame, a flaming sword in the hand of a really big angel. And, and he's like, you know what? I have, I've been doing all of this wrong today, God. I would like to submit to you at this point. I think it's, it's very disingenuous to me, but... Why did you beat your donkey these, those three times the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Now, is he resisting the angel? In, in the purest sense, yes. But what's really going on? He's resisting God. God said, don't do this. Okay? Um, <clears throat> three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. So now what is he saying to Balaam about who was making a fool of who, who was right all the circumstances? He is literally saying to Balaam, the donkey saved your life. The donkey didn't just talk. The donkey saved you from killing, from me killing you. That's, it literally, that's, what, that's another thing that flies in the face of how we look at this. Oh, that angel wouldn't harm Balaam. Why would we possibly think he wouldn't harm Balaam? The angel basically said, it, it always brings me, I th I've said this before, I think one of the most powerful little moments in Scripture for us understanding who we are and who God is, is when Joshua comes across the river the night before they're about to invade the, the uh, Jericho. They're about to start marching around Jericho the following morning. So that night, he's walking around, talking to God, that kind of thing. And, he, and the angel comes up to him in the middle of the night. 
And, and Joshua says to the angel, are you friend or foe? Are you with us? Are you against us? What does the angel say? Neither one, Bubba. I'm on God's side. Man, you can't get more powerful than that. Basically, he's telling Joshua, Joshua, I ain't on your side. There is no such thing as being on your side. I'm not on Jericho's side. I'm on God's side. So if you want to be on the right side, you better get on God's side because that's the only side that's the right side. And Joshua was doing exactly what God was saying. And the angel is basically telling him, unless you're on God's side, it doesn't matter. You can do everything that God has said, but if you're not on his side, if you're not following him, this is what I've been talking about over the last few weeks about pursuing God. If you're not pursuing God, you can't just passively be there. You can't just be in the Christian mentality. You can't just live a good moral life. You've got to be pursuing a holy God because you've got to be on his side or there's nothing else. At that point, what he is saying is, there's God's side and everything else. Joshua, you and Jericho are on the same side if you're not on my side. That's something I don't think as Christians we process. If you're not following God, you're on the enemy's side, whatever the enemy is, including Satan. That's, that's scary stuff. So the angel says to Balaam, Balaam, the donkey actually saved your life. I was going to kill you. Okay. <clears throat> then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my if you are against my going. If you are against my going, how much does it take to get in this dude's head? Now, if you still don't want me to go. So the donkey three times, angel flaming sword, donkey talking, all that stuff, you're you're still like, I don't know, this what are you really saying here, God? What do you, I don't I'm not you're not coming across clear here to me, Mike. That's exactly what he's doing. He's still got that, that, that selfish greed that's going on inside his heart. The pride, I think. Remember, I don't think it's all about money. I think he's going to be the man when he gets there, and they're all going to, oh, Balaam's here. Curse the Israelites. And yep. Yeah, so he's still questioning. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. Are you seeing a pattern here? Okay, Balaam, you're still not getting it. Go ahead. That's the only way I'm going to be able to get your attention. Go ahead. You ever done something like that with your kids? All right. Okay, whatever. You're right. Go ahead. Do it. You know, I, I can't convince you. When my kids were littler, I would just, no, you're not doing it. As they got older, I, I'll, I let them. Okay, you think, you think this is going to go well? Go ahead. Dad's an idiot. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, you're talking like in their 40s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I got some inside knowledge there. So, <clears throat> so he says, okay, go with them. When King Balaam heard that Balaam was on the way, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon River at the farthest border of his land. Didn't I send you an urgent invitation? Why didn't you come right away? How does Balaam explain the whole donkey thing to him? I was trying, but see, there was this donkey, and he was talking to me, and then this big angel with a flaming sword. Didn't you believe me when I said I would reward you richly? Yes, that's the only reason he's still coming. Balaam replied, look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam accompanied Balak to this place where the king sacrificed cattle and sheep. He sent portions of the meat to Balaam and the officials who were with him. The next morning, Balaam, Balak took Balaam up to this place. From there, he could see some of the people of Israel spread out below him. Then Balaam said to King Balak, build me seven altars here and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Balak followed the instructions and two of them were sacrificed. And the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each other. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go see what the, if the Lord will respond to me. At least he's starting to kind of get it. I'm going to see if. I think I kind of made him mad, so he may not be talking to me. But, you know, we'll, we'll still try it because we've got a lot of money on the table here. Then I will tell you whatever he reveals to me. 
So Balaam went alone to the top of Bear Hill, and God met him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars and sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Go back to King to Balak and give him the, my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing there beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. This was a message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aaron. King of Moab brought me to the eastern hills, from the eastern hills. Come curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? And how can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? I see from the clifftops. I watch them from the hills. I see people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can count even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. Then the king demanded, what have you done to me? Finally, finally, Balaam is starting to get it. This, I mean, you can read the rest of it. This doesn't go well. This happens again. Um, the king says, Balaam, why are you doing this? And Balaam says, okay, let me do it one more time. Guys, I know for me, maybe I'm, maybe this, I'm just odd man out here, but I do this stuff. I have argued with God and argued with God and, and, and just God continues to say, this is what I've told you to do. I know, but God, I've got a better plan here. If we could try this, God, this is what I've told you to do. And I've been to the place where God says, okay, do it. And get yourself into a bunch of trouble. Really cause yourself some problems. And then I get mad at God. I would like to get mad at a donkey, but I don't have a talking donkey. And so now I'm mad at God. And then God says, okay, this is what I told you to do. Then I don't do it. And then I get mad at God. I've done that a lot of my lifetime. Somewhere, somewhere we got to back up to the first part of the story. And this is what I was talking about three weeks ago. If we will pursue God, if we will pursue God, that's it. Pursue God. Not our plans, our will, our direction in life, what we think should happen our marriage, our family, our work, our whatever, if we'll just pursue God, we will be on the right path every time. Remember the path I was talking about? It's not really that hidden. It's just narrow. It's not hidden. Only thing you have to do is pursue God. Open your eyes and the path's right there. Pursue anything else. Open your eyes and you're on the broad highway. Pursue God. Open your eyes. You're on the narrow path. That's where we got to get to. Okay, so how are we going to pray about this? Pat? But you're not saying she's like a donkey he's talking. Because that's what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, where the, where the donkey is literally has more credibility here than Balaam does. He, he has more of a consistent uh, action and attitude than Balaam does. The donkey, the donkey is is being more consistent than Balaam. The donkey's doing everything right in this story, including keeping Balaam alive. But, um, yeah, I do believe, I, I believe that there are people in our lives that God, you guys have heard me say this before, and I don't mean this in a joking way, I don't mean this negatively, I really do believe this. I believe one of the reasons that God has you marry the person that he has you marry is because they are sandpaper to you. They have the ability to knock the rough edges off. That's, that's literally part of the reason God brought you two together. And here's the interesting thing, is our biggest struggle is when our spouses are, are being who God created them to be, we're angry. God designed them that way specifically to knock the rough edges off of you in a way that no one else can, and we treat them like crud because they're being who God told them to be. In the story, they're being the donkey, and they're the good guy. And we're being Balaam, and we're upset, 
And the donkey's trying to say, are you paying attention to everything that's going on here? Because I'm not doing anything wrong, you are. Guys, we don't like that. I say that, but if Linda reminds me of this in the next couple of days, I believe that what God is saying to us is, I am Linda's sandpaper. Right? (laughs) So, I mean, really, I believe God puts people in your lives. I've thought this many times over the years, that one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to get under your skin. And then people get upset at me. I'm just doing what God said. Right? Okay, so let's pray. Let's pray for me. Let's pray that you will see how awesome I am at this moment. Uh, What else should we pray for? Because we are going to pray for that. What? That my sandpaper will be smoother? I, th- I think one of the, I, I mean, to me, maybe, I know, that, I know this is particular to me, but I think one of the things that should stand out for us here is, Lord, help me, not to, help me not to rebel against you. Help me not to resist. Help me not to try to get my own path cut. Help me not try to do my thing. I'm pushing against you and your plan and your will and your, all the things that is you. I think we've got to constantly pray that. I don't think there's a one-time thing. I think you've got to constantly be saying, God, I'm my, I'm my worst problem. Please help me. Right. All right, let's pray. God, we lift ourselves up to you. We put ourselves in front of you, Lord God, for you to be in charge. Lord, and, and I pray for me. I, I pray this for everybody else, but I think specifically we pray this for ourselves. Lord, I want to be who you want me to be. That's it. I, I, rebellion seems to always be at, at my back door trying to just push and push and God I ask you to 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 help me to resist that and push away and 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 run towards you Lord I I pray for all of us that we don't we don't resist or rebel against you but we just be who you want us to be God I pray against pride that that tries to attack us selfishness um, insecurities all the things that push us toward resisting you Lord help us to be who you've called us to be and, uh, Lord, help us to, to realize the, the, the circumstances, the people around us that can speak into our life. Help us to hear that and see that in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for the opportunity to know you, to serve you, and to do what you've called us to do. Lord, thank you for that. And continue to touch Harry, Lord. He needs a miracle. He needs a miracle right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yes, ma'am. What hospital is that at? Okay, I'll see him tomorrow too because I'd like to to be there before he goes in and pray. If you're doing something like that, don't you want somebody there like right before just to pray? So I'm saying that because you could join me unless you work. All right.